Did any of you make that meeting at the, the associational meeting the other night? The preacher there was uh, given the diploma. Uh, name's Brister. He's from Little Rock. He's a black guy. And uh, I wish I had some way to count all the amens that he had in there. Because he just he just peppered his sermon with amens, amens, amens. He's a good preacher and all that, but uh, but you know they get in this habit of of that. We're going to go back to First Corinthians this morning, uh, starting second chapter. Uh, this chapter. Is broken into three distinct parts, and we're going to cover this morning the first part. And I don't know how long it's going to take. It probably won't take as long as uh, I'm allowed it up here. So y'all might y'all might get a little, but you will never beat the Methodist to the to the restaurants, will you? <laughs> I don't care. You know, and uh, when my wife and I were dating, we'd say, we were down in Haines City, Florida, and we'd, I'd say to her, let's do something on this end of town and then drive real fast and see if we can beat it to the other end of town, you know. <laughs> and so that's the way it is around here with the congregations. If you have a disturbance in this congregation this morning, it will be the subject of the <laughs> of the. Uh, conversation up at the patio that's uh the way news travels isn't it you can telephone telegraph or tell a woman oh you didn't expect that one did you <laughs> but that's an old joke but this second chapter of first corinthians i have entitled this a proper pattern for preachers. So, when you look at it, you say, well, I'm not a preacher. Why would you bother with this? A famous old theologian of the past said, preach the gospel always. When necessary, use words. When necessary, use words. We all preach something. We all preach something. And it doesn't necessarily mean from a pulpit. So, I want to go through some of this this morning. Verse 1 says this. As for myself, brethren, and I read from the Amplified, when I came to you, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony and evidence 
or mystery and secret of God in lofty words of eloquence or human philosophy and wisdom. The instruction here, the proper pattern is this, speak in ordinary language. Don't try to prove your vocabulary. Any of you ever read William Faulkner? Famous writer from Oxford, Mississippi. Miss Jewel B. Harden, who taught me in college, she thought that William Faulkner had hung the moon. She was always telling us to read William Faulkner. I can't read William Faulkner unless I've got a dictionary in one hand and his book in the other. He uses, and I got a pretty fair vocabulary, but he uses, he uses words in there that, you know, why bother? You know, he, is he trying to educate me or something, you know, with, with language? But Paul says, I didn't do that. Now, Paul, you've got to remember, Paul came from Tarsus. The university at Tarsus was preferred by some of the scholars in that day over the universities in Athens and other places of renown. Paul was educated as a Hebrew by Gamaliel, who was one of the was probably the foremost Jewish theologian of that day. He also was educated in the Greek in that university and was educated in a lot of the history of the time. And so... He could have come here. But he said, he said a little word right here. As for myself, brethren, brethren, he put himself at their level. He called them brethren. In other words, I'm not above you. I am your brother. The Baptists have always abhorred, until these recent times, the use of the word reverend. Carolyn, you can remember when you, if you called a Baptist preacher a reverend, he would correct you very, very quickly that I am not on some pedestal somewhere. And Paul is saying to them here, you're my brothers. And I want to speak to you in a common language. So if you are witnessing to someone, 
get away from church language. How many people know what repent means? How many common people out there educated in the normal schools that we have, how many of them know what repent means? How many people in the church know what repent means? It just means do about face. In the army, they, you know, about face, right? To the rear march. And so that was, that was what, that's what the word repent means. It means to the rear march. Go the other way. You've been going the wrong way. Go the other way. And so, but, but most people don't understand this. So what you have to do is you have to be plain. You have to be plain. What is sin? Everybody says, well, is such and such a sin? Is such and such a sin? What's sin? The transgression of the law. Quite simply. It means that doing something that God said don't do. Now, a lot of people say, well, I don't sin. Is there anybody in here that hadn't sinned today? Yeah, maybe before you woke up this morning, you know. But the sins that most common with us is the sin of omission. We fail to do what God told us to do. Go, therefore, into all nations. Or we just sang a song. Praising my Savior all the day long. We sang that, didn't we? Was we truthful? Or did we lie? Kind of a hard question, ain't it? Wherever he leads, I'll go. Except over there. I surrender all. Except what I want to hold back. See, we have to be plain in our preaching. And so this is what Paul is saying here. I didn't come with fancy words. I just left Athens where I contended with the scholars over there in their language. But I'm not going to come over here and do that over in Corinth. So we have to be plain in what we do. We have to be open to criticism. Someone says, well, just because you go to church doesn't make you a Christian. True. Billy Graham said the biggest field we've got is in the churches. And I tend to agree that Billy, ha Billy Graham knew what he was talking about. 
And so he says in the second verse, For I resolved to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. This was a deliberate, intentional resolve to preach Christ. We can get all tangled up, and theological discussions are, are fine among Christians, among preachers, and among teachers, but not to the general public. I've got a question for you, and I don't have an answer for you. Before Jesus started his public ministry, did y'all know why that he waited until he was 30 years old? He wasn't considered a man until he was 30 years old. No Jew could be a teacher, could be a rabbi, could teach until he was considered mature. Remember when the parents were asked about the blind man? And they didn't want to upset the Sanhedrin. And they said, Ask him yourself. He's of age. That tells us that that man was 30 years old or better. He had been blind for a long time. And when the Sanhedrin asked him, he said, I don't know nothing about the man. All I know is I was blind, now I see. And then when they pressed him, he said, Do you want to worship him too? And that's when they threw him out. But he was pretty straightforward in his answers. So the instruction to the preacher is to preach Christ. I personally am of the Calvinist persuasion. And if you don't know what that means, don't worry about it. It just means that I believe, as John MacArthur was asked, do you believe in election? He said, yes. And they said, how? And also, do you believe in whosoever will? He said, yes. They said, how do you reconcile the two? He said, I don't. <laughs> and, so, and so that's... but. I'm not going to stand up here and preach the Calvinist doctrine to you. I'm not going to preach the Arminian doctrine to you. Arminian doctrine is that you can get saved anytime you want to. You know, somebody says, I'll get saved when I'm ready. Wrong. Can't do that. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist, 
believe he's got one that's called Wesleyan Arminianism. His belief was that at least once in every man's life, he's touched by the Holy Spirit to either receive or decline salvation. Now, that's Wesleyan Arminianism. That's kind of a halfway mark between the two. Arminianism believes that you can just go up one day and say, hey, I want to be saved, and God's got to do it. Calvinism says that God has to choose. So which way does the scripture teach? Read your Bible. All right. But preach only Christ. We don't preach this other stuff. Now, if you want to go to a seminary and you want to study some of this stuff, go ahead. But there is stuff taught in a seminary that I would not stand here in this pulpit and preach to you because it would confuse you. And the church is not a place for confusion. The scripture says that. You're not supposed to be confusing. You're not supposed to be so eloquent that nobody can understand what you're talking about. <clears throat> I am not supposed to persuade you to become a Christian by my rhetoric. That's not my job. You know whose job it is? The Holy Spirit. That's the office of the Holy Spirit. And I am not going to crash in on the office of the Holy Spirit because I think he's better qualified than I am. No, I know he's better qualified than I am. So, see, the Holy Spirit can only attest to him. Not necessarily what I, if I preach Christ, the Holy Spirit can attest to him. What did he say? Jesus said he will take what is mine and present it, right? He didn't say that he will present himself. The Holy Spirit is the most courteous member of the Holy Trinity. He never is intrusive. He might be insistent, but he's never intrusive. He only comes with the word. And when you are wanting to talk to somebody, you better make sure that you're in accord with the Holy Spirit. A famous evangelist was asked one day, do you witness to all? He said, no. But I ask about all. Is this one that I should speak to? 
evangelist one day, right at the end of World War II, was in the lobby of a hotel, and there was a soldier there in uniform. And he went up and did what a lot of people do today and said, thank you for your service, and the guy spit on him. Was embittered by the war. He went to the elevator. He thought, well, they spit on my Lord too. And so he went to the elevator. And this was in the days when they had an elevator operator. And there was a man on the elevator. And he began to witness to him. And the man rejected him and kind of was harsh about it. But when the evangelist got to his floor and the elevator opened, opened the door for him, the elevator operator turned to him and wanted to know. And the elevator operator was saved. So you never know which one the spirit is going to touch. So I told you I was going to ask you a question. The question is, is before Jesus started his public ministry from the time he was born, what about all those people that were lost and died, and died before that time? What happened to them? Where are they today? Anybody know? I don't. I don't know the answer to that. The thousands of people that lived from the time of the flood until later, what happened to them? That's God's business, not mine. I'm not going to stand up here and preach about what I think that happened to those people or what the answer is to that. that and people will ask you that kind of question. When you start trying to talk to them about salvation, well, they're going to ask you, well, what about that headhunter down in Borneo who never heard of Jesus Christ and he dies, where does he go? The only thing I can refer you to is first part of Romans, that men are without excuse. And that's the only answer I can give you. See, you've got to keep it simple. You've got to keep it plain. You've got to be to the point. No, I'm not worried about that headhunter down in Borneo because I'm not down there. And he's not going to eat me. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to talk about your salvation. Your relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's where we've got to be. Because the, only, the Holy Spirit can only attest to that. He can only attest to Jesus Christ. And it's his job to bring conviction on that one. If he doesn't bring conviction on that one you're witnessing to, 
you've done what you could and don't worry about it. You can't go away worried that you didn't save that man. And see, it says, and him crucified. This was something that the Greeks who valued rhetoric, who valued eloquence, who valued these argumentative things, and they argued about this, and they argued about this. Well, do you think the moon faces the earth out of the same direction all the time, or do you think it rotates too, or whatever, 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 and, and all these theories and stuff that they talked about. But no, a cross, a Jewish peasant who died on the cross, that's my hope? You must be kidding. But see, only by the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit can we glory in the cross? The price that was paid. The reason. The tabernacle, that floor out there is laid out in the form of a cross. The tabernacle was laid out in the form of a cross. Long, long before crucifixion was ever thought of by anybody in the Jewish world. That came, the Romans adapted that from somebody else, and I can't remember who it was. But they, you know it took a while for a man to die on a cross. That's the reason they broke the legs is to keep them from being able to get up and get a breath. But when they got there to break Jesus' legs, the prophecy said not bone bone would be broken. And he was already dead. He had already gone to given up the spirit. So glory only in the cross. The cross is the object that we point people to because that's where the power is. And so the verse third, the third verse says this. And I was in weakness and fear and great trembling after I had come among you. Be careful to speak responsibly and accountably to God. I cannot stand here in this pulpit and be unaware of what I'm doing. I have got to have great reverential awe of the almighty God and realize that I'm standing in his office proclaiming his word and not mine that 
I got to I got to be a little bit scared. Not of you. Because I've been on stage since I was in first grade. But of him whom I stand before. I tell people that I could speak very boldly before the United States Congress before they threw me out. <laughs> because I could do that. I could stand up there and talk. They'd probably have those thugs that they've got out there throw me out because they wouldn't like what I had to say to them. Nor you either, Steve. So, remember that what I say up here, I'm accountable to God. I will give account for what I say to you this day. And I should be impressed by that. And verse 4 says this, and my language and my message were not set forth in persuasive words of wisdom, but they were in demonstration of the Holy Spirit and power. I'll read the amplification here. It says, A proof by the Spirit and power of God operating on me and stirring in the minds of my hearers the most holy emotions and thus persuading them. In other words, not in my power of reason, but in God's power demonstrated. Did you know that Billy Graham or Charles Stanley or any of the preachers that we really think highly of that they were they are totally ineffective without the power of God and the Holy Spirit in the audience I might have told you I went to Winderfield, Ray Winderfield to watch Billy Graham Bernadette Messina went with me and my wife she wanted to go over there and I'm sitting in that Oh, that stadium, birds flying around, watching birds, you know. And I thought to myself, if anything happens here, it has to be of God. And things happened there that was of God. And you see, in any of these great revival meetings that I was over in, I believe in Batesville, Mississippi one night. Uh, what's that guy's name that was preaching over there? But anyway, I, I, I can't remember. But anyway, he got up, concluded his sermon, and walked toward the back of the auditorium. And all of a sudden he said, stop. Wait a minute, there's somebody here that's lost. 
that is to be saved tonight. And he walked back up to the front. And he asked him to start singing again. And guess what? One came. One came. Somebody was in the tuned and attuned to the power of God. I went over there with Scotty Bracken. That's who I was there with that night. It was one of Scotty's favorite preachers, and I can't call his name right now. But if you're sensitive like that, I thought, I've never seen a guy do that before. But how much is that one soul worth? That one person that got saved that night. That maybe would not have even come back the next night. You don't know. You don't know. My belief is that he would have got saved somewhere anyway because of my belief. But that's, that's me. I'm not telling you that that's correct because I'm not always correct. But the power of God, not my persuasive rhetoric. And verse 5 says this, So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Preach the word. Preach Jesus only because only the Holy, the Holy Spirit can only attest to him. Glory in the cross. Be careful how you talk because God will require it of you. Let God demonstrate his power and don't try to do it yourself. And leave the results to God. And have faith in God. So that your faith may be resting in God. And what is it going to accomplish? Conversion. You want to see a demonstration of power of God? Conversion. What were you before you were converted? Can anybody tell the difference between you then and you now? How many times have you seen someone changed by the power of God? Obviously changed. Alcoholics Anonymous might not get him, but God came. I'm going to mention somebody right now that you all know, and he wouldn't mind it a bit. That's Steve Ginn. Steve Ginn used to be a meth head. Going to church right here. 
Who cleaned him up? Only God did. Because I heard the man that's in charge of the state of Mississippi drug enforcement thing up there say that he had never seen a meth head healed, changed. I can show him one. But that's one of the hardest drugs there is for anybody to get off of. That's conversion, folks. That's conversion that's seen by the people around, demonstrating the power of God. You think they think you're a fool for coming to church? Watch what happens to people who get converted. And then what, did, then what is another result? Peace. There's nothing like peace with God. What did Jesus bear on the cross? The wrath of God. You say, are you saved? What do you save from? The wrath of God. People say, well, that's a strange term, saved. What do you save from? I'm not saved from death, because that's going to get you. But you're saved from the wrath of God. That gives you peace. That gives you joy. And then, transformation. You see people transformed. Some of the greatest transformation stories in history is like Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday was a wild one till he went to that little place up there in Chicago and got converted and was transformed into one of the most dynamic preachers that you ever knew. Transformation. You see lives transformed by God's display of power in their life. Change lives? Only God can do this. Oh, I'm going to change. I'm going to change. Yeah. I'm going to change by what method? Well, I'm going to use the 12-step program or one of the most common things is I'm going to lose weight. Sure I am. No, you should not have seen me this morning trying to put these pants on. Because it's a funny thing about a closet you can hang your clothes up in, the clo- in that closet and they will shrink. <laughs> and so, yeah, only God can change lives. We can't change them. And I'll guarantee you, you can't change somebody else's life. 
As Ann Lander so famously said, marriage is not a reform school. Oh, no, you didn't know that, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she's tried, to, she's tried to change me, but it didn't work, did it? No. But the great thing is, and we'll finish with this, is the influence in society. What's wrong with our nation today? We do not have Christian influence predominant in our society. We did have when this day when this country was founded. It was illegal to start a, to build a village without a meeting house. Required by law. You go out and start a farming community, a village and everything like that, you must have a meeting house. Read some of the times of the colonial times or before colonial times the pilgrim at Plymouth colony how that their corn crop was failing it had already turned yellow in the stalks they hadn't had any rain they went to the meeting house and had a meeting and confessed their sins before God and prayed for deliverance and it rained and the corn recovered. That doesn't happen, folks. That does not happen, but the corn recovered is recorded in their journals. That's what kind of influence that the Christian is supposed to have in society demonstrating the power of God. And so if we are to achieve anything in this country and we say it over and over and over again, We've got to get back to the basics. And the basics is God, His Son, the Holy Spirit, the triune God, and letting Him be in charge. And not some political party or some individual. See, we don't have a king in this country. We do not realize many times what sovereignty is all about. We could have had a king. His name would have been King George Washington. But he turned it down. 
because George Washington was a smart man. And he said we could never achieve anything without the power of God. That's what kind of belief that our founding fathers had. But you know when Plymouth Colony began to fail? When it began to decline? See, it was a true commune. Communism is not what we think of communism. That's socialism. Communism was communal when you lived as a communal. Everybody shared the crop. Everybody shared the work, supposedly. And everybody was equally dependent upon the farm. But there were some people around that didn't dig as hard as the others did. They didn't chop as hard as the others did. They didn't plow as hard as the others did. So what happened? The founding fathers or the leaders decided, well, we'll do it this way. We'll let you have your crop, you can have your crop, and I can have my crop, and you can have your crop, and you can raise all you want to, and anything you get in surplus, you can sell. And no lazy bones over there, as it says in Proverbs, he's not going to make it. And so the colony started getting prosperous. And prosperity displaced godliness. And the rest is history. Thank you, Father, for the words. Thank you for... Your son, thank you for who you are, and thank you for the instructions to preachers as to how to preach. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Huh? No, I don't think so. I don't. As far as I know, we don't need one. <laughs>